0: Welcome to Scale Her Up, the female entrepreneur show with me, Brenda Hector. I'm a business growth specialist helping business owners to develop themselves and grow their businesses so they can achieve their goals and enjoy the lifestyle they dream of. I'm also on a mission to revolutionize the entrepreneurial landscape for women in business. In every podcast episode, I interview someone who has an inspiring story or some great advice for women aiming to start or scale their businesses. If you're new to the show, take a moment to subscribe and please check out the previous ones after listening to this. We've got an awesome community on Facebook. Just search for Scale Her Up and join in. I'm absolutely delighted today to have Maggie Gorman currently working in Ceteris, but Maggie's got a great backstory about her journey in entrepreneurship and how she's now helping entrepreneurs. So delighted to have you with me today, Maggie.
1: Delighted to be here, Brendan. Thank you for inviting me along. It's
0: quite exciting. Oh, it's always great to have somebody who's got a similar passion to me about helping business owners. So, uh, but as I said, you've got a bit of a backstory. You've been a business owner yourself. So maybe tell us a bit about your entrepreneurial journey yourself. Sure. So
1: I started with uh, I graduated from law school and decided that i didn't particularly want to go into law so i went into a kind of project management role actually with economic development in, in the initial initial stages of my career and then from that very quickly you know, morphed into management consultancy type roles And because of that, I gained quite a lot of experience at a relatively young age over a variety of sectors and a variety of organisations doing different things. I then decided that I could do this for myself, so I set up my own management consultancy firm way back when. And I was quite lucky, actually, because one of the reasons I decided to start it up is because at the time, the business that I was working for were kind of downsizing for various different reasons. And the managing director at the time had said, this is a great opportunity for you to take those clients that you've nurtured and, you know, kind of set up your own business. So he was supporting me in that endeavour. And it was terrifying, but I decided, well, I'm Mm not going to do it now, I'm never going to do it. You know, I had a a good client base there already and on which to build on. So that's exactly what I did do. We focused primarily on business growth, working with SMEs. I worked with Scottish Enterprise at the time, a lot Mm -hmm. of businesses. And getting consultancy contracts through some of what used to be the local development companies, like the Orbis Initiative, CEDA, that kind of thing. And from there, it just kind of developed terms and legs. It was through word of mouth. So we went into leadership development. Um, I brought in, I had a kind of associate model rather than an employee-based model, because having the associate model allowed me to enter into a number of different sectors that I personally had not a lot of experience in mm-hmm. but we were able to accept contracts because we had associates that we worked with who were really good at the things that I didn't and couldn't cover and so it gave us a kind of broad depth of, of coverage if you like in terms of the kind of type of businesses that we worked with and, and the types of areas that we were able to support businesses with. It was highs and lows, like every business. Tell me, tell me what were the what were the highs? I think the highs initially were obviously being, in theory, the master of your own destiny. You know, having your own business, being your own boss, and being able to, in theory, you know, accept clients and, and or not accept clients if if you felt that that was the right thing to do, and just being able to. You know, at the, t- at the time I had three small children and we were also renovating an old Victorian house and life was crazy. So in theory, being able to manage my own hours and have control over that flexibility, for me, was one of the highs. The lows, I suppose, were... The, it was the opposite of what I just said. We I was thinking, ended up... I was, hours. As,
0: <laughs> I was thinking as you said it. Um, if you ask ask any business owner at the right time or the wrong time, the highs or the lows is the same answer. It's being your own boss and having to be responsible for everything. And, yeah, sorry, it's I interrupted so you there.
1: No, not at all. You're absolutely 100% right, Brenda. And, and this is what we experience now as as business advisor, you know, it's exactly that. that depending, take a snapshot at any one time, Um, And and there is a lot of crossover between, you know, the the reasons that you set up your own business, but also the reasons that, you know, the challenges that you face and sometimes want to kind of give it all up because it is taking you to the edge. Um, So it, it can be very fulfilling, but it also can be very challenging. And doing what I do now really helps me to understand, because I kind of walked the walk, I can understand from a, a business founder, a business owner's point of view, you know, what the challenges are. And I had another couple of businesses after that. I ended up selling the consultancy business to one of my associates who wanted to um, grow his market in Scotland. And I then set up, having absolutely no experience whatsoever, a retail business um, around interior design just of course, as the global financial crisis was setting in 2008. So that was an interesting journey, but we did, we got through it. We went into profit, we were all on our knees, but it was an interesting interesting time, an interesting journey.
0: So there's a couple of things there. I'm just making a note that I make sure I come back to them. So first things first, tell me about the process of selling your business. Often when I talk to business owners, I ask them what their what does it look like in the when you're finished with it, and lots mm-hmm. of people don't get into business with any idea how they'll get out again. So, did you know that that was what you were aiming for? Not at all. No,
1: I had I wasn't at all meaning to. Or there was no intention for me to sell that business, but I'm also a person that can't ignore an opportunity, and. When the opportunity out of the blue uh, was placed in front of me, I had been overseeing that business, managing, owning that business for about ten years, and I wanted to think of other ways. I, you know, I wanted to think about different directions. And to be honest, the business was kind of running itself, and the same challenge. Although there were challenges within the business, don't get me wrong, the challenges were not the same as they were when we first started up and I kind of missed that whole buzz of, you know, starting again. And so the opportunity arose when I was approached by one of my associates, like I say, who was predominantly an English based business wanting to expand their market into Scotland. And because I had quite a lot of contracts and relationships and a networking place, it kind of suited them. So the process we went through, I mean my background's law. So we went through a kind of due diligence process. And you'll know from your own your, your own background, Brenda, that you know, selling a business, there's no one size fits all. There's no, there's this myth about you know, a formula. And I guess maybe for some accountants out there or people who are involved with this on a regular basis, maybe there is a formula. But for me, you know, I, I spoke to my accountant about it, I spoke to my lawyers about it, and I got the same kind of feedback, you know, a business is only worth what someone is willing to pay for for it. Um, and for me, it's 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 never ever, nor will it ever be about the money. For me, it's more than that. Obviously, when in your own business, it has to be viable, it has to be profitable. But for me, it's it's not the only thing. that that drives me. I'm not, I don't think I'm particularly competitive in that sense, but I am driven and I am ambitious. And so it, it was a combination of, it was the right person to take over because he understood my network and I wanted to feel comfortable that the customers we had were going to be looked after. That was a biggie for me because it resonates with my own personal values and he offered a price that I thought was a very reasonable price but then uh, nothing to measure that against yeah I just thought it was reasonable we had an agreement that I would still work in the business for a period of up to 12 months after the sale in order to transition and I knew that I worked with him particularly well it was the yin and yang um, and it, it did work very well so Things were aligned and it felt right. And I know that's not a very scientific approach, but it felt right in the gut to do it. And so I went ahead and I don't
0: regret doing that at all. That's fantastic. Yeah. And if if you had any advice to someone that was thinking of selling their business, what would be what would be your top tip?
1: I think my tool has a really brilliant question. I'm not sure it's the same advice, for every scenario kind of depends on the variables and it depends on the person's circumstances, I suppose, and the reasons why they're selling. Um, What would my top
0: tip be? So is is it to know what the why is, to know what they need to get out of it? Perhaps that's a really good way
1: of framing it, Brenda, yes. For me... Everything was aligned. I felt it was the right decision for the right reasons. And I guess if you're innocent, I suppose it depends if you're under stress or under duress to sell rather than wanting to sell. For me, it was making sure that the network I had grown and the customers that I and became friends, most of them, to be honest, were going to be well looked after. Um, And I felt because that... Like I said before, it goes back to my own personal values. And I think if, if if the sale of your business is aligned to your own personal values and can be aligned to that, and I know I'm not being maybe specific enough here, then I would say that's a good starting point. But I would also say be very careful because there are people out there who will take you through a process of sale that's not necessarily in the best interest for you. So just be very careful who you, who you bring on as part of your team during that process.
0: I like that. So there's, there's the go with your gut, mm-hmm. but make sure that the due diligence is right as well. So yeah.
1: I think that's maybe the lawyer in me, but yes, definitely. Definitely.
0: Thank you. Thank you for, for sharing that. So the I'm just going to take you back to you started telling us about the next business which you launched at the time of uh, economic downturn now there will be yes. lots of people listening who I'm not going to say the word but we've come through a difficult while over the last couple yeah. of years and now we're facing this uh, you know this cost of living issues mm-hmm. so it's a difficult time for businesses so Tell us your experience of going through that and again your tips for people coming behind you in these um, times. I'll, I'll do my best. Of course, my tips might not necessarily be the same thing
1: for them, but yeah, can I tell you the, the experience that we had? So, um, yeah, I started the business just at the tail end of 2007 when, of course, we were getting very nervous about the potential global financial crisis. And a lot of my friends at the time said, Maggie, you know, you're off your head, why are you doing this at this time? Why don't you put it on hold? And I guess the kind of either the idiot or the entrepreneur in May Take Your Pick decided I was going to go ahead with this because I, I, I'd signed myself up for it. And I thought, I don't know, either stupidly or arrogantly, I thought I can ride this storm. So on we went. And I was very careful about the scaling or the the initial setup of the business, I I did, I I kept it smaller than originally anticipated. And that was, I guess, just, for me, that was just making sense, not putting everything that I had, investing everything that I had into that business, you know, holding a little bit back just in case. And I guess, um, having had no experience, so the business that I set up was a retail Furniture and interior design business. Absolutely, I had no experience in either of those areas. The only experience that I had in interior design was that I had a bit of knack for, um, you know, for helping my friends and members of my family, you know, kind of doing things with their house on a shoestring budget. And I guess maybe people have said I've got a bit of an eye. So that was the only qualification that I had, and. I made sure, the one thing I will say is that I made sure I had the right team in place and I had two shop managers. I had a a shop manager and an assistant manager. Mm Who It was about attitude for me and it's always about attitude. It's never about qualifications or even experience, to be honest. It's all about attitude because I think if you hire the right people and they have that attitude of can-do, then you you can, you know... You can work through the why's and clear fours. So I made sure that I had the right team and I was so lucky with my team. I have always been lucky with the teams that I've been involved with. And, to, you know, we, we made decisions together. I mean, even though I was the business owner, I wanted them to treat it as if it was their business as well, because, you know, I wanted to give back to them for the future of that business. And if they wanted to be involved, then that was an option so we made decisions together and, you know, that the strategy that I had written up to start the business moved very quickly into a different strategy because of the situation financially. And we had to rethink, how are we going to bring in revenue? You know, how are we going to encourage people into the shop? How are we going to encourage people to take on interior design projects when, you know, that the economics, you know, are quite tight? And so I looked at alternative Complementary businesses to work with, and we worked with we worked with builders, for example, and um, you know working with them to engage with show houses, etc., and an offer a kind of knockdown. Um, I, I guess a kind of knockdown price to so that I could put the furniture in there, and I could work with them to do show houses, and that gave me extra exposure. It was cheap marketing, really. Um, There were a few other things that we did. Um, I renegotiated all my contracts with my suppliers and we had a commission-based situation rather than a sales-based situation so that I would allow them to put stuff into the shop. um, But I wouldn't pay for it unless it got sold. And then I took a reduced profit from that. But again, I wasn't outlaying to my suppliers for things. So you just had to think out the box a little bit and be a little bit more innovative in terms of what you did, rather than, I don't always accept the norm with things, and so it's just thinking how how can I make this work? How can it be a win-win, really? And and I would say that's a biggie in business, you know, in terms of negotiation and persuasion. You have to have that ability to be able to understand what the other person's needs are, so that you can work on that together and find the right compromise. So I guess that would be Another tip is to work on your negotiation and persuasion skills. Um, I think also developing your network for any business, whether it's in the midst of a global financial crisis or not, being able to, you know, go to people and share experiences, peer-to-peer, but also word of mouth. I, you know, with the management consultancy business, I never had to advertise that business. It's all word of mouth. Mm -hmm. And, And slowly but surely, in terms of the marketing approach, A lot of it was word of mouth for the retail business as well because we had done a couple of projects and their neighbours saw it and contacted it. And because I think we were quite well-priced as well, we we weren't really high-end, we weren't low-end, we were something in between. And I was always willing to negotiate on that as well. I think internally, we standardised a lot of our processes, eh, not to the point that we lost the kind of natural development of things, but I think by standardising and streamlining, streamlining things internally, it meant that we were more effective in what we were doing, things like we had an online accountancy system, which a lot of businesses will have now, but you know, back in 2017, 2008, these things were just coming on yeah. board. Um, So I made sure that those kind of operations were streamlined through supply and demand and and suppliers' contracts, everything like that. I really took time to understand my customers' needs. And I know that seems like an obvious one, but I see it now as a kind of growth advisor. A lot of the businesses that I'm working with, it's knee-jerk reactions towards customer requests. And sometimes that's good and that's the right thing to do. But sometimes it takes you off track in terms of what your original planned growth is or was going to be. So I would always I take love time, that. you know, to really get to know. And, and I guess it goes back to what you said about the why, Brenda. You know, understand their why. And if you understand their why, then you can build their needs around what you can offer. So, do you
0: find do you find that there are businesses that one customer says, "Oh, could you do that product, but in a with this tweak or with this different color?" And they take that, "Oh, that customer wants it in that color." Therefore, there must be a market for it, and create something mm-hmm. new that it turns out there was only one customer for. Do you see that that? Re- the I mean, your, is that what you mean by the need uh, to your creation? Yes,
1: exactly. When in actual fact, that was maybe just that customer. Yeah. Maybe had some kind of eccentric taste or <laughs> eclectic taste. Um, and I guess that's what I'm saying. It's about, and I, I guess with the interior design side of things, it is very creative, but at the same time, in order for that business to be successful I needed to have kind of standardized things as well the bread and butter yeah um, and as well as the kind of other elements the the bespoke elements that that we could bring in so yes yes absolutely
0: I see it with engineering technology you know companies that are developing and bringing bringing technology to market there's a, a bit of over-engineering maybe, making too many options and then having, it's not not an efficient way of of managing their stock and their parts and things like that as well. Exactly,
1: absolutely, 100%. And, you know, that's what I mean when I say get to really know what your customer needs. And sometimes, you know, I would listen to the customer and I would think to myself, they think they need this, but actually I think what they need is this. And it's under that power of suggestion. And it's not because you want to sell them something that you've got that you want to get rid of. That's not what this is no. about. This is about making... This is, this is about demonstrating to the customer that you've listened, that you've understood, you've comprehended, and you've come back with something that's actually better than what they had originally wanted or planned for. And that, that also allows you subtly to ask for more in terms of the income sometimes. And, and if that customer feels that you've engaged with them and you've listened and you're offering that as an add-on, because there was a bit of upselling in my business, there had to be. Absolutely. But it was subtly done. You know, nobody ever complained about that. The opposite, you know, it was about adding value Who yeah. it was appropriate to do so. I mean, my team never, ever, ever hard sell. That was a no-no for me. It's all about that subtlety and understanding the customer needs, and I think also understand why they are buying from us rather than buying from someone else. And that goes back. I mean, I hate that term USP. You know, your unique selling point. For me, there's a term called meaningfully unique. And I learned that from Helen Porton of engineering innovation. And I think about that even in the job that I'm doing now, when I talk to business owners and business founders, I talk about what's meaningfully unique and it's married up with the why. It's it's all captured in that packaging, if you like.
0: Um, I use the term uh, unique buying point rather than unique selling point. It's not about what you want to sell to them; it's about what they want to buy from you. I love that. Yeah, I might steal that, Brenda.
1: <laughs> You're welcome to it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you give me the credit when you use it. Absolutely, I will. Yeah. So the listeners will be wondering what happened to that business then. Also, you're not still in not involved still in
1: that. Is that is an interesting story. My husband was offered an opportunity to go to the states to work. he was in renewable, still in renewable energy. and it was very much on the cusp at that time things were happening, and he got the opportunity to go and live and work in the states and to take his family with him. so it was a it was a really it was a tough, tough, tough decision because, The business was taking off, we were in profit, but we sat down, spoke to the family and we decided it was an opportunity that we couldn't miss. Our whole life was packed up and shipped off to the States for the best part of five years, four and a half years, and I sold on the interior design bit of the business to a friend of mine who again was looking to establish herself and I had trust in her. And I sold the lease from the furniture side of the business to another business who, and they're still trading out of those premises and doing quite well. So, yeah, it was an interesting one. I think otherwise I'd possibly still be doing that. Who knows?
0: These, you know, these things have to be flexible and evolve around our, Mm. our, you know, we we work to live, not live to work. Absolutely. It should be something yeah. that provides the the personal goals as well. So that's indeed, awesome.
1: indeed. And it, it was an opportunity. Like I say, I I feel it really. I'm the kind of person that if I see an opportunity, I find it really difficult not to take that opportunity
0: in some shape or form. So, yeah. I should think that's where the entrepreneurial spirit comes from. Yeah, when you see an opportunity, you you grasp it. I I
1: would like to think so. <laughs>
0: So let's <laughs> let's move on then to your current uh, role. Um, uh, yeah, tell us about what you do, what Setters does, and how okay. you've taken that, that previous experience uh, into that role. Sure. So yeah,
1: we're Setters Scotland Limited, um, based in Clackmannanshire, and Setters are the biggest commercial landlord in the area. We we have eleven sites at the moment. We have just over one hundred and fifty tenants and they employ between them approximately 1,000 people. So that, that, in essence, is what Ceteris is, or what it started out to be. Although we're a private-limited company, all the profit that we make goes back into investing in the business, but also the support services that we offer, not just to our tenants, but to local businesses, um, not just in Clackman but both Valley and Central Scotland. Um, you know, our remit is quite wide. And my, so I'm responsible for developing that business support side of the business. We have the Business Gateway contract, so Business Gateway Clackman and Shire runs out of settings, and it does until the 31st of March 2023, and then we'll see what happens after that. Uh, but also over and above that, we are running pilots for incubators, accelerators, we are running, um, I Female Entrepreneur Programme. We we can brand it all under the name of Emerge. So we have Emerge Enterprise, which houses enterprise insights, Unlocking Potential, which is an accelerator programme. And we're about to uh, launch a growth club as well. We're trying to come up with a different name for that, the growth club. And then part of that Emerge branding, if you like, we have the female entrepreneur program that we're launching in the autumn and then in the future maybe the new financial year we're going to look at young emerge which is working in schools trying to get that entrepreneurship engaged through the curriculum for young people at school you know trying to marry up the concept of self-employment and entrepreneurship being an option Yeah, I'm really pleased about that one. I mean, there is some work going on. There's some really good work going on around that just now, but we want to kind of engage and collaborate with those organisations that are out there doing bits of that already. So we're not jumping in and taking over. We're working in collaboration and partnership with those other organisations. And then we have the the Emerge Graduate Programme, which is working with graduates coming out of colleges and universities, and looking at developing entrepreneurship through
0: through that means as well. So we're busy. We're certainly not twiddling our thumbs. So um, in terms of the 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 schools work and the graduates work, for me that's that's so important because a lot of young people who you come through the school process and it's mm-hmm. about becoming more, really specialised and and that process is there just to help them find a job really, isn't it? Whereas. Mm-hmm. The opportunity to be an entrepreneur, to be self-employed, it's, often it's not a visual route, a route they can see when they're looking at their career choices.
1: I think that's so true, Brenda. And, and really for us, as I would suggest an entrepreneurial organisation, one that's interested in developing that entrepreneurship, it's something that we want to engage with You know, at school level when young people are thinking about their career choices, you know, to consider that actually self-employment could be an option, but to guide them through that process, you know, to answer their questions about how do I do it and where do I start? You know, that is the type of support that we hope to be offering our young people, both at school level and at college or university level. Having said that, there is a fantastic programme coming out of Stirling university just now, which I'm involved with, I sit on the advisory board and they offer a fantastic opportunity to their graduates. But like everything else, they only have so much resource. And, you know, there are, there are graduates who maybe, for whatever reason, don't get onto the programme, but they still want to proceed, you know, with developing their own business or setting up something that they want to develop. So, again, we're there to offer that type of support, that type of collaboration. We're not there to encroach in what's already succeeding.
0: Yeah. In terms of that question that you just said there, when somebody's thinking about starting a business, what do I do? How do I start? So it doesn't matter who they are, if they're school kids or graduates mm-hmm. or anyone yeah. that's, that's looking, for, um, looking to start their business. What would be your key advice? Just do it. Mine too.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So um, I'm being a bit flippant, but yes, I I think so. There are are a number of organisations that you can contact. And of course, Business Gateway is the one that I'm going to kind of fly the flag for here. Um, If you're 16 or over, we can start working with you. There are various... Other organisations, you know, there is the Princess Trust who do a a fantastic job working with young people in order to help them through the self-employment route. And there's, I think it's Young Enterprise are there as well. There's a few other organisations that can help. But I think there's quite a lot of advice out there. I think the difficulty for young people is knowing where to go for that advice and, and where to start. And I would always say, contact your local business gateway first of all, because we can signpost those young people to the appropriate organisation to help them get started.
0: Is business gateway is that Scottish, Scotland-wide or UK-wide? It's uh, Welsh.
1: It's Scotland, Scotland-wide. Business Gateway is Scotland-wide. Uh-huh. There are other support mechanisms in England which I'm not entirely sure about, um, and I think they're called different things. But in terms of Scotland Business Gateway and every local authority region will have an offering of Business Gateway in some shape or form. It quite often is delivered through the local authority. Um, we're one of the exceptions in that we deliver Business Gateway through a subcontracted contract with our local authority, Clax Council. So, but but in theory, the service that you get is the same. And there's lots of even if a young person was to go onto the Business Gateway website, there are lots of resources there, and everything through Business Gateway for the user who's wanting to set up their own business is free. So they don't pay anything for that yeah. service. It's provided through government funding
0: yeah absolutely obviously most of the listeners are, are currently to scale her up are based in scotland has been listened to in nearly 30 countries around the world so there oh, are wow. people all over the place if you can't find the help in your own uh, location feel free to join the scale her up group on facebook and ask in there um absolutely. because i will we'll right. do all that we all that we can to, we to help indeed. people wherever we they can. are
1: we're yeah. here to help that that person that wants to know more. Absolutely.
0: So, what are the what are the big challenges then, Maggie, that you see people facing in being in business. A, a business owner? Mm. Yeah.
1: So, in in my role at the moment, my my role is to, I head up the Business Gateway team, Business Gateway contract, but I also am responsible for developing those business support services within sectors. But I work also as a growth advisor. And that's the thing as well that I want to say about Business Gateway. It's not just about business startup. If you have an established business as well, you know, we have growth advisors that can help on that side. So in my capacity as a business growth advisor, I think some of the challenges that that we see are a business trying to scale up without really having a proper foundation. And, and what I mean by that is really exploring some of the things that we've talked about already, you know, understanding what your product is. And I really don't mean this to sound patronising, that the last thing that I want to do. But it's, it's that kind of immediate reaction sometimes to, I'll, I'll give you one example without naming the name of a company. They approached us because they had been offered quite a decent contract. And they wanted to they wanted help developing their internal systems to accept this contract. And it, that, accepting that contract would have meant almost ignoring some of the other customers that they had developed over the last four or five years. And so we explored a number of avenues with them. And that was that kind of dejected reaction, oh, we've got a fantastic contract here, let's go for that. Now, I'm glad to say that we worked with them to develop an all-round strategy. Because that big contract that they they were engaged with, that company, unfortunately, during COVID, had to really downsize. So if they'd gone with that one contract, they would have not been in the position that they are now, and that is now being able to continue and grow. So I guess it's about understanding your foundations, understanding where, you, where is your growth going to come from. Sometimes it's organic. Sometimes you have to explore new markets. Listening to your customers, listening to what your customers are actually needing from you and and also some of the wider concepts that your customer needs because that's perhaps where your complementary business can can play into those new markets. I think not recruiting appropriately, I touched on this earlier as well, Brenda, you know, thinking about your skill set within your business. a, A lot of business owners that i see and there's nothing wrong with this but a lot of business owners end up recruiting from friends and family you know and and bringing those people into the business because they know they can trust them but that you know i would think very carefully about the skills that you need what are the gaps in your business because quite often the business owner is very proficient in the thing that they're providing Quite often, they don't have some of the other skill sets that are required, the HR, the people management, the, you know, the financial management skill sets, marketing even. So whatever your skill set is, think about the
0: gaps. You gave um, us a really good example of that yourself in your second business there where you said, I know nothing about it, but you. I brought in good people who did.
1: Yeah, yes. exactly. And that is yeah. exactly right. And it did work. Thank goodness. I think often the challenge for some businesses is, and I know how difficult this is, you know, it's being on the business rather than in the business. And and what I mean by that is, you know, looking at your innovation, looking at where your growth comes from, and looking at where your product development lies or your service development, where, where it lies. Because, and I know how difficult this is because I have been there myself. If we don't look at the future or if we don't look to the future, then we can end up very much in the past. And some of our competitors can encroach upon the area that we're in before we know it, you know, they're taking over some of our landscape. So I think it's, it's vital that business founders, business owners really force themselves to take that time to be on the business and not just in the business. And, and like I say, do know how difficult that can be. And then the opposite of that, the other challenge is that sometimes business owners focus on too many goals at the same time, and you end up with this kind of headless chicken scenario, I want to do this yes. and I'm doing this and then I'm doing that, and and then nothing gets done well, or or you spread yourself too thin. So i think these are just some examples of the challenges and of course the big challenge is you know funding that growth you know where does that funding where does that funding come from so that that's a huge especially at the moment you know coming out of you know the pandemic a lot of businesses are still in survival mode we see it every day so it's supporting them through that through this difficult time but it's quite positive. I think it's quite positive. We're seeing a steady increase in business startups. We're seeing a steady increase in business growth. So I think we're moving, we are moving in the right direction. But then, I'm a half I'm a glass half full type of person anyway. So I always look for the positive.
0: There are always opportunities, though, aren't there? And I, so. uh, I would imagine the most. People who are starting their own business are the type of people that see the opportunities rather than Mm -hmm. the the negatives in in any situation. Yeah, For sure. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I've got two questions, two final questions for you, Maggie. Um, As you know, Scale Her Up has been created to support women um, Mm -hmm. looking at starting up and scaling up their businesses. How do you think we can make a difference to improve the, these terrible t- statistics? That there are only one in three entrepreneurs in the UK are female, and men are five times more likely to scale their business to over a million than women are. What can we do?
1: I think there's a couple, well, a few things spring to mind just off the top of my head. And I think first of all, it's understanding what the female entrepreneur needs because it's different needs, and and. I'll probably be shot down in flames for saying this, but I think there's slightly different needs to the female entrepreneur. And I can only speak from my own experience. When I was building my own businesses, you know, I still had, and my husband is incredibly supportive, don't get me wrong, and very good at, you know, household chores. But I still had to think about childcare. I still had to think about um, caring for, you know, our parents and things that were going through some difficult time as well. It always seemed to fall on me to kind of organise these things, but then I am an organiser, so maybe that was just me. So I, but I think understanding what the female entrepreneurs' needs are, and it's not just about the business. There is a whole other episode of things going on around them that they need support for. So it's it's, it's making the environment for female entrepreneurs to engage with the, the other needs that, that they need to satisfy, whatever those may be. And I think also we are beginning to see a difference in this, you know, things like the female entrepreneur program that we're now running through SETINAS, having dedicated programmes that and, and what we're offering through that program is slightly different to what we would offer through a non-female. Mm-hmm. Um, entrepreneur program now I said in all my marketing we don't exclude men at all we prioritize women so that's the way we look at this we look at prioritizing females women um, who, who people who associate themselves as women or females through that process and we've engaged with existing female entrepreneurs to help us to design that program so and that's why we can identify with different needs because these are female entrepreneurs that have told us that actually we don't just need this like the business side of things we need this this and this as well so you know it was even one interview i had with a female entrepreneur recently you know she was saying that she had to have this really difficult conversation with her husband about why she wanted to engage and develop this business. So we incorporated into the programme, you know, having those crucial conversations with people that mean a lot to you and how to kind of put these things across. And there's even things like that incorporated into the programme that perhaps you wouldn't normally see in a, in our standardised
0: entrepreneurial programme.
1: And of course, lobbying the government
0: for more support. <laughs> absolutely, never was a mess. Government support and peer support. I think those those would be two real, real absolutely. biggies. Yeah, absolutely. So, Maggie, is there anything that I should have asked you that I didn't? Anything you would like oh, to add? That's a superpower
1: question. There's one thing that I will say that maybe we haven't covered, and it's something that always resonates with me, Brenda, and it's this. Measure what you do. You cannot improve what you cannot measure. Whatever that means to you as an entrepreneur, measure it, understand it, evaluate it constantly, because that's where you get your innovation from and that's where you get your future-proofing from. I was going to say it's not rocket science, but maybe for
0: some entrepreneurs it will be. But, yeah, that's a great question, Brenda. That's a great answer. Oh, thank you. That's a very good answer. No, that's great. I I would totally agree. Yes, what you measure, you improve because you're focused on Mm -hmm. it. And by by knowing, by having the information, the data, I feel like, it means you can make decisions and you can move things forward. Exactly. Exactly. Analyze it. Absolutely. Yeah. Brilliant. Thank you. Thank you so much for being on the Scale Her Up podcast, Maggie. And uh, for anyone who's uh, based in Clapman and Cher and looking for some support in starting or growing their business, they now know where to come. So, Absolutely. thank you very much for uh, it's like
1: It's like I always say our door is always open and the kettle is always on. So, yeah, come and have a chat. It's been an absolute pleasure, Brenda. i thoroughly enjoyed it and I appreciate you giving me your
0: time i really appreciate you sharing your insights and tips with the listeners thank you so much thanks for listening to scale her up the female entrepreneurs show don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes and please join our facebook community at scale her up please connect with me brenda hector on social media and drop me a message to let me know you're enjoying the podcast or even better pop a wee review on itunes i'm going to finish by reminding you Only one in three UK entrepreneurs are female and men are five times more likely to scale their business to over 1 million in turnover than women. If we started and scaled our businesses to the same extent as men, it would add 250 billion to the UK economy and provide millions of jobs. Ladies, you can do it and we're going to make a massive difference.